There's a place here at the table Your coats go by the door You can kick your shoes off in that pile on the floor I hope you wore elastic Cause your waistband's gonna get tight Take time's done, we're having a Hi guys! It's Hi, Ari. guys. Oh, gosh. I had a half a Negroni. It's Sophie. We're already talking over each other. I'm sorry. Ooh, a half a winter Negroni. I love that. I know. On I ice? Mean, best drink. Uh, I had mine up. Harry had his on ice. I'm an up when it comes to a Negroni. Are you on ice? You're kind of a rocks person, right? Yeah, because I rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a dad now. I just, I was just crowned dad for making that joke, so... Thank you to everyone for supporting me in this journey. It's been a long time coming. <laughs> I thought because I rocks was really good. So I guess that makes me some. <laughs> um, I do like it on the rocks because sometimes if if you don't get the measurements, which is just one to one to one exactly right, or if like your apero is a little sweet, I just, it gets a little too sweet for me. So I like the melted ice. I also feel like a lot of people like to have the ice so that while they're sipping the Negroni, it sort of thins it out a little bit. But mm-hmm. also it gets to be more drink once the ice melts. Whereas and we love up, more drink. We do. We love a more drink. But up, I mean, I feel like I'm drinking a tea martini and here I am tipsy. Anyway. Love it. Love you, tipsy. Hey, so like what'd you eat this week? Okay. I want to talk about very briefly a moment of shame and that I want to share with everyone and display some vulnerability. I've talked about my family's recipe for tortillachis, you know, to great extent on this show. My family makes this pasta. If you haven't heard, they're like big tortelloni. They're called tortillachi. They're like a rustic hand-shaped little pasta that's traditionally filled with spinach and ricotta. So I had made Sophie and Harry a huge batch of them for their wedding. We're talking 120. 120 tortillachi made with her own hands. And didn't I put them in like a Louis Vuitton box or something? They're in a beautiful Hermes box. And when They're you gave me, box. I was like, I can't believe she gave us an Hermes wedding present that she was like, no, sorry, it's pasta. <laughs> I know. That's like one of those pranks that's funny, but then you also might be letting someone down inadvertently. Whoops. I would always rather have food than Hermes. So don't worry. I know. I know you. Me too. I had frozen them, given them to the happy married couple and reserved some for myself and my boyfriend. And the other night I decided to cook them. I, okay, keep in mind, I had frozen them right after hand uh, making them. And my my parents always say, we they parboil them whenever they freeze them, they parboil them. But I was like, what do you mean parboil them? I'll just throw them in the freezer and then you just throw them in water. Like when you get frozen pasta, frozen ravioli in the in the freezer aisle. And so we made them and they were terrible. They were terrible. They tasted nothing like the, the flavors of my youth, of my childhood. Right. I, the, I think it makes so much goddamn sense. Like if it's frozen, it's a, it's a thick rustic pasta filled with something. So the, it has to cook for longer because the outside's going to cook faster than the inside. And then the whole thing is like a bunch of them burst, which is just, you know, a huge right. failure. But they just got so overcooked and mushy. And somehow um, they took on a lot of the flavor of freezer. So freezer burn, it was mm-hmm. bad news. I was ashamed. So if you guys are freezing um, any handmade stuffed pasta, you got to parboil it first and then freeze it. That's my story. Yeah. 
Well, parboil, but because I think we talk a lot about handmade pasta, homemade pasta, which like usually, obviously, if it's not filled with something, you just dry it and you leave it and it's right. fine. Yes. And it'll last forever. But right. Once you get into, I mean, freezing can be very tricky business. Like this summer, I put so much stuff into my freezer because I was very intent on not buying anything out of season. So I have peaches and berries and like all kinds of stuff. And the trick is it's almost like par freezing them. It's like you mm-hmm. have to freeze them on a big tray before you then put them into a bag because otherwise like the water content screws everything up. Freezing is actually more complicated than people think it is. I think people are like, oh, you just throw it in a bag and that's it. And it's like, yeah, no, you can't do that. I smell an episode coming up. Maybe we can find a freezer artist out there. I know. I mean, who's a freezer genius? Probably, honestly, probably most chefs are like, of course I know how to freeze shit. But yeah, (laughs) anyway, that's besides the point. What about you? What did you eat this week? Well, last week I was so intent on talking about my new favorite dessert, sticky toffee pudding, that I didn't get to talk about the fact that I handmade. I keep on being like, is it handmade? Is it homemade? I Both. think so, but it's all so confusing because we're all handmaking and homemaking, but tortillas from scratch. I love with it. With this amazing masa that I bought from this company called Masienda, and I bought a tortilla press. So it was my mom's birthday on December 1st, and I made tortillas. And then we made tacos. I had done this like sous vide chicken with fire roasted tomatoes and oh, <laughs> is that the one? good. Did we make that one? Yes, we did. Ooh. You guys, there is this episode on cooks, this episode, there's this recipe, <laughs> the half Negroni is going to my head. <laughs> the recipe on cooks illustrated for sous vide chicken, chicken thighs mm-hmm. in this fire roasted kind of chipotle-ish sauce. It is so good. So easy. So I made that, but really like the highlight was the fact that I made these tortillas. They're so easy, so much more delicious than buying them. Also, obviously much more environmentally friendly. If you are in the mood to learn how to make tortillas, I highly recommend it. Plus yeah. now my next thing is going to be tamales. Oh, I can't wait. Can I be there? Of course. If you're not, I'm going to be pissed. I love the way you work with masa. Thank you. Masa artist over here. Just kidding, guys. I'm not a masa artist. I am just beginning my experimentation and I'm really enjoying it. So more importantly, do you want to talk about who our guest is today? Because this is a big episode for us. This is a very big episode for us. This is. I'm so excited about this guest. I was thinking to myself, this is top, top three for me personally. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Like huge deal for us. This is someone who we love, admire, um, his style of cooking, who he is, what he what what his beliefs are, and like his also his just like general look. I'm kind of in love with him. I mean, yeah, so is everyone. Without further ado, the man needs <laughs> don't bang on the table, Sophie. It fucks up the sound. Well, I'm just trying to give a fucking drum roll. We have senior food writer from Bon Appetit, Andy Baragani. If you don't know Andy, I don't even, I'm shocked you even listened to this podcast. Good for you. You're going to want to know Andy. He rose to fame kind of more so in the past uh, few years with his on-camera work for Bon Appetit and Healthy-ish in the test kitchen. He makes the most beautiful, incredible food that always kind of speaks to his heritage. And it's just the food I want to be eating all the time. Plus he is H-O-T smoking hot. 
<laughs> Smoking hot and just a sweetheart. Very much a sweetheart. I mean, we had so much fun talking to him. We sort of, we, you know, we emailed after being like, we could have gone on forever, but really we could have. I feel like, I almost feel like we didn't even scratch the surface because I think this happens to us with people who are so excited to talk to where we're like, wait, I have so many questions to ask mm-hmm. you. I, I don't even know. Well, it's know. like, I want to be your friend. Right, exactly. I feel like the equivalent the most, in real like, life. ingratiating way of like attempting to be someone's friend. But hey, what can we do? You know, it's who we are. Yes, of course. I feel like the the real life equivalent of what happened was like when you go on a first date and call your mom after and you're like, I found the man I'm going to marry. It's like yes. we finished interviewing him and we're like, we, you know, this has to go on forever. Yes, we love him. And don't worry, you're going to love him too. Of course you are. So guys, Sit back, pour yourself a drink because it's the holidays and enjoy this fantastic episode with Andy. And it's all about the holidays. Tell us what you guys are cooking. Tell us what you're excited about. Tell us what you're doing. Tell us what you're not doing. Maybe you can tell us about traditions that you miss. You know, we want to hear from you. So yes, we'll see you on the other side. So we saw that your latest recipe that came out in the gorgeous special holiday edition magazine of Bon Appetit, you made these great cookies. They're Persian cookies. How do you pronounce it? Non-e-berangi? Non-e-berangi. Yeah. Non-e-berangi. Gorgeous. Sounds a lot better when you say it. <laughs> uh, it takes uh, many years of uh, speaking Farsi to kind of nail it down, but it's not too difficult. Non-e-berangi. There are these uh, wonderful um, cookies, Persian cookies made from rice flour. I have to admit that I pitched them uh, for the uh, cookie story, I've never ever done a cookie recipe for BA, I believe, and I've never taken kind of mm, control. Usually, the cookie story that we do every year, it's usually one developer. This year, we mixed up and it was uh, a handful of us. But I think for some reason, over the years, I've kind of gotten I'm not the baker, but mm-hmm. the thing is like I do bake, I enjoy baking, but I just don't bake that often. I think do a lot more savory dishes, but I pitch this cookie. But at the same time, I thought it was almost like a challenge for me because I thought, like, I don't love this cookie. I remember eating it growing up and I'm like, oh, it's too crumbly. It's overly sweet. It's sent mm. much cardamom and rose water. But I also think, like, it, it was a good challenge uh, because I thought, how do I kind of take this cookie and make it just a little bit more of, like, let's say my taste and more appealing, maybe aesthetically? Because usually just kind of a a sad round cookie with some poppy seeds. I'm like, let's, let's make it more festive. So what would you say, okay, so if, if Nane Berenji is not your favorite cookie, so it sounds like you probably ate it growing up. To me, it sounds like a version of a, as in like the way that you feel about that is like how I feel about a biscotti, where I'm like, okay, if it's there, like, I guess I'll eat it, but I'm not excited about it. So what are the cookies that you do get excited about? What is your favorite cookie? Oh, I would, the thing is like, I would definitely eat a biscotti over and over and over, <laughs> but not a berenji, but at the same time, like, I don't want to short sell it. Like this cookie, it had, it, I'm really happy with the way it turned out. And so this, this version that I did, I would eat uh, somewhat regularly, especially for the holidays. Um, I would say my favorite cookie, and I don't get to have it that often because it's, it's hard to find a really, really good one are alcohores. You'll see them around uh, South America and and uh, Argentina, Bolivia, Brazil, a lot of South American countries do it. But it's um, it's a sandwich cookie of sorts with uh, two round sweet biscuits, 
uh, typically made of wheat flour, maybe a little bit of cornstarch, and they're joined together with uh, dulce de leche. Oh boy. And I so, have had yes, those. Yes, they are. Had those, right? <laughs> yeah, they're like, incredible. Here, the, the sandwich between the dulce de leche, and sometimes they'll have like a little coating of, uh, I've had them with a little bit of um, like grated coconut. Uh, yeah. They're, they're coated with different uh, stuff, but they're the cookie of my childhood because my mother was a Lancome lady for many, many years. And during the holidays, she had a customer, a regular customer who was from Argentina. So she would give these cookies to my mother and then she would bring them back home. And I'm telling you, they were like beautifully, just like individually wrapped in this box. Oh, and wow. Yes. Go through them. And I don't <laughs> have a heavy sweet tooth. I'd say like my mother, father, and I have an older sister. They, the three of them really have a sweet tooth. I don't, but these cookies just make me go nuts. I love those. Those would probably be my favorite, but I have to say, and I, <laughs> this is a little basic, but um, I love like a salty chocolate chip cookie, like a really, really good one. I mean, I, it started pretty early on to that cookie, like, it, it, but my uh, taste is progressive. It used to be like Mrs. Fields and like, <laughs> from like chocolate chip cookies from Subway. And now it's Ooh, I, yes. <laughs> Remember that revelation in middle school being like they warm them in the toaster oven. Holy <laughs> shit. I will say though, like I can still go to work on a Mrs. Fields chocolate chip cookie. One of my friends got the chocolate chip cookie cake once. Have you guys had that? I, I haven't had them, but I remember them. Just like those crazy trays. It's insane where I'm like, why would you bother with a gourmet version when you could just have this? Like, they're so good. So, I mean, of course, a chocolate chip cookie, who can knock it? <laughs> the best. I, there's so much to talk about. Next issue, completely unrelated. I feel like you are the mortar and pestle guy. Like, no one likes grinding their own spices as much as you do. I just want to start really, really basic on fundamentals. Which is the mortar? And which I'm, I'm not kidding because every time I think I get it right, I'm like, is that the pestle? Also, is it pestle or pestle? Pestle. Nobody knows. I say pestle. I don't pronounce the, the T. The mortar is the bowl of which, um, I mean, it can be made from many different, uh, it can be typically hardwood, metal, ceramic, um, hard stone, such as granite. And uh, sorry. And the pestle is the kind of heavy, blunt, club shaped object. I don't even, I truly do not know how many I have at this point. At least 12, maybe 17. And now, have you become a guy where like when people come over, they're like, oh, I know what I'll get Andy. I'll get him a mortar and pestle. Or is this like you've collected them in your travels? You know, there's only, I have one friend who only one person has given me a mortar and pestle. I guess that's like, I guess my mother has given me one mortar and pestle, but I have a friend who's given me two and they're so beautiful. He just gave me one for, for my birthday, funny enough. In general, I would, he, he has a great eye, so like I welcome that. But most of my mortar and pestles, or the majority of the mortar and pestles that, that I've gotten, uh, it's from when I'm traveling or on my own, or they're never new. They're always used and from made from different uh, items and different weights and sizes. And I don't know how I was drawn. It must have been from when I was very young and saw my mother and grandmother kind of use like a brass one, a tiny one mm. um, to grind yes. fun up to make saffron water. But mm. then when I like, when I went to, like I have a 
um, um, a wooden Japanese one, a sarabachi. I have also another wooden one, but it's huge and very tall from wow. Thailand that I spent literally like a day and a half finding a particular type. They call it a uh, crock. Uh, and it's where they make the somtam, the papaya salad. And, mm, um, wow. I mean, I I have so many that I love. And, and I think... It just, it's really, besides a knife, it's really the oldest tool in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And it's beyond the kitchen at that point, uh, uh, in many ways. But um, I do, I use it to, yes, the toast, to, to grind spices and break them down to, whether it's coarsely or to a fine powder, mm-hmm. uh, to grind saffron um, into a powder for saffron water, uh, pounding herbs for a salsa verde. I'm using one, I would say, almost every day. Wow. Now, does that mean like you'll never grind your spices in, let's say, like a coffee grinder or something? You always grind them with a mortar and pestle? No, I'll I'll say this: like when, there's certain things that, like, if I am doing a big, let's say, uh, making a big spice for, for a roast, I'm going to use a spice mill because I'm probably going to be going through a lot of spices, and yeah. so I'll do the spice mill just to kind of get that. But if it's like uh, saffron or a small amount of spices where I just need a couple of teaspoons. I'm going to do it in a mortar and pestle. And while you can get, obviously, coarsely grind and definitely a fine grind in a spice mill, you do not have that kind of control uh, that you you would have in, with a mortar and pestle. I also True. think like the same way, like if you're going to make a salsa verde uh, or breaking down herbs in a food processor or a blender, it's very different. It's a very different experience and end result than you would when you're uh, breaking down the herbs in a mortar and pestle and really kind of Breaking that cell structure down, and, and right. that, you know that's how they they make pesto in Liguria. I've tried making pesto in a mortar and pestle a million times, and it's never ended up well. And yesterday, I had my first really successful go at it. And the trick, I think, for me, what I experienced in my experience, the trick is, <laughs> I ground up the nuts. I ground up my pine nuts first so that they became creamy. Cause I'm always like, I throw in the basil and then I'm like, what the fuck? This is such a disaster. Mm. So that really, really helped doing the pine nuts, then the garlic, and then you can do, you know, your cheese and your basil and everything. And it's true. It's like, instead of having that very, well, it's sort of like a machine of course is going to cut everything down to the same size. So this felt much more rustic, but it also came together in a really nice way. It was like almost creamier that yes. I'm used to. Generally, I find like you don't need nearly as much oil uh, yes. with mortar and pestle, and you do get a creamy texture. You break down the pine nuts and the garlic into a paste. And I think a big thing with, I mean, stepping aside from mortar and pestles, I think like ooh, something that I really strive for in my food and what I think makes uh, a great dish is there's many different factors. But the one is just kind of uh, the inconsistency and of textures in your mouth. You know, if you eat the mm-hmm. same, it's the same texture, same movement over and over, you kind of develop almost palate fatigue. Yes. So like you want maybe, let's say, a pine nut to be a little bit coarser, a little bit finer, or uh, an herb to be uh, broken down, maybe a little bit coarse. Like that kind of surprises your mouth. Can I ask just one more question on the mortar pestle thing? Because we've got you here. I have like a whole collection that this, that's displayed in a legit. Yes. <laughs> be a great Zoom backdrop for you. Exactly. It's like a beautiful vitrine. So yes. now that I know my amazing pesto trick, if I'm doing a salsa verde, which doesn't have a nut in it, how would you, what would you start with in your mortar and pestle? Like what would the, what would the stages be? 
I would break down some garlic, a tiny clove of garlic, uh, maybe the size of an almond, break that down with a little bit of salt to act as an abrasive until it's uh, into, uh, into a paste. Um, mm-hmm. Then I would um, uh, spoon that into a bowl, uh, leave that in, probably pour some kind of acid to kind of soften the garlic, the bite, mm-hmm. red wine vinegar, that's what I crave for. Uh, a splash of red wine vinegar, season that with salt, let it do it, let it do its thing. And then I would start with um, maybe sometimes I'll add some uh, capers as well, which you could also mash with the garlic. And then I want a lot of parsley. I want that grassy, fresh flavor. So yeah, I'll take um, parsley leaves with a good amount of stem. I love the stem. I'll give that a rough chop just to get it going. And mm-hmm. then I'll smash that down with a little bit of salt until it's really broken down. You don't have to leave it coarse. You could even give it a finer chop. But I break it down into where you kind of almost see um, where the parsley is giving out a little bit of its uh, its like a green juice of sorts. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's where it's, it's it's very very strong. And you'll notice that if you do it with the mortar and pestle, you don't even need as much parsley as you would if you were doing it by hand or in a food processor. Oh, um, so I spoon that in garlic, red wine vinegar, parsley, plenty of black pepper, uh, or a fresh chili if you'd like. Um, you could leave it as is with just a single herb or add like a little bit of another herb, kind of a secondary herb, mint, tarragon, maybe a little bit of basil, just kind of have like a back end note and then, um, some olive oil. And I stir that in, it could all happen in the, in the mortar and pestle, but I kind of like to separate things in batches so that I really focus on each individual ingredient. The same, the way I do with the spices, if I'm breaking them down in a mortar and pestle, a peppercorn has a different kind of. Uh, coarseness and uh, breaks down differently than, let's say, cumin seeds or fennel seeds or cardamom, which you want to break down the pot and remove the seeds. So it's kind of just paying respect to each ingredient. This is actually so helpful because whenever I grind spices, I end up using my coffee grinder because I'm trying to put everything in my mortar and pestle, do it at the same time. And then like my coriander seed is still a huge chunk while like my cumin seed has been totally ground down. This is so helpful. This is great. There we go. Worth worth having you We're on done. the episode just for that. <laughs> Are there essential spice blends that you find you use over the holidays? I will say like, I, I, I do have a lot of spices, but I use all of them. Like I'll, right. I don't have mace in my cabinet because I don't really use mace or I don't really use um, clove that often. I always have turmeric, always have coriander, fennel seeds, cumin seeds. I'll use allspice occasionally, uh, lots of peppercorns. I have so many peppercorns at the moment. But um, spice mixes, you know, I feel like I make a lot of different spice combinations. Right. So sometimes they're warm spices. Sometimes, um, but, but I don't use a lot of spice, store-bought spice mixes. I usually just will kind of make my own and make just enough for that. I understand most people don't do that. The one spice mix that I do have uh, almost always is uh, uh, chopped mas- uh, chop masala spice. I mm-hmm. love that spice mix. And what really makes that so special for me is the um, the amchur, which is mm. a dried green mango that is pulverized and it has this acidity. So you don't no- normally think like you think of spices they're like, warm, really fragrant, but um, the amchur gives the chopped masala spice like this 
astringency and this this tanginess that like makes you want to go back and over and over. Mm. Uh, oh, yeah. yum. Mm. <laughs> Sounds very good. So what are, what kind of food do you love to eat during this festive holiday season? What did you grow up eating? Are there certain dishes that you refuse to eat? Like, are you a, a sticky pudding person? I don't even know what that is. Fruitcake. I always loved what we ate for that for Christmas. Holidays more so than Thanksgiving. I love Thanksgiving, but I always kind of knew what we were going to get. There were maybe some surprises, like you know, a random veg here, and, and I definitely kind of play around with my my Thanksgiving menu every year. But for the holidays, it was just like, oh my god, it was just a feast. So I usually spend my holidays in Vancouver growing up because I have a lot of family there. So the menu would be like, sometimes it'd be like a whole turkey, which those are the years that I feel like weren't as good, like a pomegranate glazed turkey. Mm. Would do. Um, we did whole fish uh, uh, a couple of years and then did a uh, braised lamb shoulder. We did a platter mm. of bone marrow with like parsley oh. salad. What else? There was always a big kind of bitter green salad. Um, oh, Barbie's carrots, which is like a thing that I is, is like a, that's been on the table for decades now. My it's Barbie's carrots. Uh, it's actually the, the recipe on what I've been It's uh, the recipes from my cousin's one of his earlier girlfriends, whose name is Barbie. Like I love she it. how much attention she's gotten from this recipe. Uh, or been talked about and it's just carrots that are like kind of cut into three four inch logs and tossed with too much butter too much maple syrup too much brown sugar and a little bit of salt and cinnamon and then roasted real low and slow until like the carrot is just glazed and so sweet and candied yes and it's so not actually my kind of dish like i want like spicy fresh Yogurt, 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 like herbs, <laughs> herbs, herbs, yes, but this is like, um, I don't know, it's we all have it, and we always have to make like six pounds of this. Oh my god, and does everybody love it? It's like people are obsessed with it, everybody loves it, and everybody <laughs> gets mad if there's not enough, and there's never enough. Like, people have their sweet potatoes, people have their um, squash dish, like, right, Barbie's carrots are always there. So there's not, it's like you guys don't do one specific thing for Christmas or, I mean, I don't even know if you celebrate Christmas, but it's not like there's one set menu. It's just sort of like a kind of a free for all and just people bring things that will be delicious. And it's a free for all. It typically was just um, my older cousin, she and I, we would cook dinner and, but I would say it would veer on kind of an Italian Christmas. Mm -hmm. We have whole fish. Like the, the whole fish, and then um, we did like gnocchi, we did dumplings, um, some kind of veg. But then, like, what would throw it off is like Barbie's carrots, and then right. like, <laughs> and then like the platter of bone marrow. Yeah, I'm also just like imagining you now when you cook by yourself, being like in your kitchen, just yogurt, 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 anchovies. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So let's say COVID is not happening. Andy Bergani is having a holiday party, seven of your best friends over. What's on the menu? Now, I'll say this is specifically a holiday menu, which is very, 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 very different than a, reg a regular dinner party menu. Yes, totally. But, but this is more 
I don't want to say obvious, but like it's, it's, I kind of put a pause on necessarily my typical flavor profiles and go more of like what I think, like it's very festive. Um, I would do a big platter of shrimp cocktail. Oh, yes. I, I feel like I just all, I just continue to always get shrimp cocktail wherever I go. And like, it's never ever truly bad in my opinion. It's just, it's always like good. So, but I think I would play around with the sauces. I want big shrimp on crushed ice. Yes. Festive. Cocktail sauce for like the handful of people. That's fine. Uh, lemon wedges, Tabasco. I want like a spicy fish sauce situation. Yes. Uh, I want aioli. That would, I want that. Like I want a creamy, a tangy, fishy situation yes i have a big salad always and because it's cold it would be a chicory salad which are usually my favorite salad yeah. so maybe like chicory a miso dressing hazelnuts lots of citrus because we're in winter or maybe do something like a chicory salad with um almost like an anchovy squeezery dressing like i love that uh lots of lemon um maybe crispy capers uh, and then I would say for the big mains, I would do a big, like I've done this so many times, but like everybody's happy. Bone-in ribeyes. like the best. Bone-in ribeyes, a lot of salt all over, brown, 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 brown. And (laughs) finish in the oven until it's like perfectly medium rare. Let it rest. And then uh, probably serve that with like sweet and sour, um, like caramelized onions, just like whole roasted onions until they shriveled up and caramelized and then like toss them with some like honey and vinegar and salt um, <sighs> during the time. I love seafood. I definitely eat more seafood than, than a lot of than red meat. Um, so I would do uh, fish, uh, probably like whole, I want to say whole black bass or whole porgy. Uh, mm-hmm. I love whole fish with just aioli. So more aioli, uh, lots of parsley, citrus, um, maybe a little bit of dried chili, something starchy. I feel like potatoes, like, Everybody does the crispy smashed potatoes. They're great. They're not going anywhere. I think like as someone who's like, I end up wanting to like go rogue. And and this is something I'm always made fun of, not just like at BA, but just so much of kind of the things I do with my friends who are just like, nah, everybody's doing that. I don't want to do that. So of course, I feel like I want big crispy potato puffs and like, that's, it takes a lot more work, but it's like, you find beautiful Yukon potatoes would work, but just like this somewhere between a golf and a tennis ball, and then peel that, boil them until they're just tender. They shouldn't be falling apart. Drain them and then heat your cast iron up uh, with enough oil. So it's like a half inch up to the sides and then brown the potatoes that mm. until they're perfectly have this like golden brown shell. So they're really crispy, yet they have a fluffy interior. And then remove off heat, Throw a bunch of rosemary, some crushed garlic, spoon over that hot oil, and then serve it with, again, okay. more oil. Wait, <laughs> first of all, I want to make potatoes like that. I made some, like, really crispy duck fat roast potatoes this past weekend. But that, I mean, which, similarly, it was like I just basically used enough duck fat that they were just, like, crisping in there. But that idea of the whole potato. Mm-hmm. Genius. Definitely cut potatoes up. And, uh, and typically, like, duck fat potatoes, or like English style potatoes, you'll yeah. see it's cut up, it's boiled in salted water, drained, and then yeah. fried up. But then I notice like they sometimes like fall apart. And I just like the idea of like a whole perfectly golden potato. Yes. It's really just very striking. 
Now, since you brought up aioli just a few times, do you have like, do you have a trick with your garlic? Are you a person who like cuts out the center part or do you boil it for 15 seconds or something like that? Well, I think like if I'm just, if I'm making aioli, typically what I'll do is um, I'll have my egg yolk. I'll add um, a little bit of water already. The water is going to actually help with emulsifying the oil with the yolk. Usually I'll grate garlic, raw garlic into the aioli at the end. But if you do grate garlic in the very beginning, it will also help with the emulsifying. Mm. I like adding um, garlic to my only either two ways, either by uh, breaking it down in a mortar and pestle until you have a paste or grating with a microplane. Either way, I want the garlic to dissolve. Generally speaking, I like my garlic finely grated so that it kind of melts away and you never get, you don't bite into it. Thinly sliced, crushed, or uh, maybe like um, sometimes I'll do like I'll cut the, the the head of garlic in half crosswise. Right. Yeah. But I don't like I, I you'll rarely see me say chopped garlic. Um, I don't want bitsy pieces in my mouth. Yeah. I like the flavor of garlic, but I don't necessarily want to always uh, bite into it. Yeah, totally. No, just with the aioli, sometimes when the when there's too much garlic or it's or it's not fine enough and it like hits you in the back of the throat. And I love garlic, but it's just too much. And then it overpowers everything that you're dipping in it. It's a no-no. There is a a sauce uh, condiment that I've I've made for years now called tomb. It's um, love tomb. It's a, it's a garlic sauce that you'll typically see on uh, shawarma or sometimes um, served with falafel. It's, it's dairy free. People think like it's it's a yogurt sauce, but it's really (sighs) oil and garlic and salt occasionally like some ice water to cool things down, but it just oil that's emulsified with garlic. So I've been making that for years. I do think I like, it's a little bit easier if you add an egg white that helps mm. emulsify. So it ends up not being vegan, but a trick to that is I used to do it with raw garlic. And um, now I'll do sometimes a mix of half uh, like poached garlic and half raw garlic or completely yeah. garlic, and it gives it more mellow. Because uh, mm. um, I've definitely had nights where, like, I've had too much of that sauce from chicken places in LA. Yeah, and like, you wake up at four a.m. not only sweating but being like, "Will this taste ever leave my mouth?" Yeah. <laughs> so that's a good idea to sort of do like a half and half. I love that. I interrupted your menu. I'm so, so sorry. Oh, at the amazing potato puffs. And then I got so excited about aioli. (laughs) Uh, Potato puffs. um, I think because we're still like in winter, like I think my go-to apple dessert is an apple galette with like a tahini um, frangipan. Like I want kind of an apple galette is kind of very simple, but like you get a tahini frangipan, uh, maybe some maple in there. It just changes everything up. Um, but I also like maybe would do like a coconut flan. I feel like that's flan is very kind of festive or, um, or a coconut panna cotta, like something like that feels very, um, I'm drawn to, I end up doing a lot of kind of Mediterranean Italian for Christmas for some reason. I don't, I don't know mm. why it always ends up happening, but I'm somehow always drawn to that. When you cook at home, like we're not talking about for a BA photo shoot or something, do you, how much do you care about presentation? Are you like very fastidious about it? I mean, I would say it's to the point where I try to think of how the dish is going to look like before I even cook it. Mm. 
So, and I know not everybody goes that way. Some people say they have an idea and they riff on it and they make it right. and it changes and evolves. But generally speaking, I usually have a strong sense of what the dish should look like because I want it to stand out. I want it to be punchy. I want it. I mean, obviously, like once I developed the recipe, we, um, for the, for the VA, it's like it goes to the art and photo team and they definitely have their own thoughts on how it should be shot and designed and popped. Um, but even at home, I know what my aesthetic is and that touches on a lot of things and obviously food. So the food should be, should be, food, should be beautiful. Um, what do you think? So should we run by, see if Andy wants to give us any notes on our cocktail recipe for the uh, winter? Yes. Oh my God. Okay. So to our listeners, Andy and I created. <laughs> Andy, Ari. Oh my God. Ari and I, in my uh, dreams, it was you Andy wish. and I. You wish. <laughs> No, I would never give you up. I'm out. Ari and I created a new beverage called Ho Water, also known as Ho 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 Water. It's for the holidays. It's supposed to be like a hot rum punch. We sent Andy the recipe and these are his critiques. (laughs) I mean, a lot of these flavors I'm into, to be honest. Like Like for a moment, I was like, oh, this is giving me like maybe a kind of a hot toddy like, but a cold toddy situation mm-hmm. the sugar and the rum and the citrus and the, and the earl gray i like all these flavors um if you think that those flavors work together then ari i think we've done our job yay approved <laughs> <laughs> i'm giving us the seal of approval exactly. <laughs> should we do our um bootleg ba quick fire bon appetit food cast you know they do this quick fire thing sure great okay hot buttered rum or eggnog uh, oh my God. Um, oh God. Yeah, okay, neither. <laughs> neither. Fine. <laughs> Crispy or chewy chocolate chip cookies? Uh, chewy. Yes. I mean, they really should be like, that, yeah, chewy. At the end of the day, chewy. White like, they, or? Like, I want both, but definitely more chewy. Andy, you're turning this into not a quick fire. <laughs> okay. White or multicolored tree lights? White. Ooh. Agreed. Mariah or Frank? Okay. <laughs> okay. Another one? <laughs> seven fishes. Oh, or a Christmas goose. Uh, seven fishes. White Christmas or Home Alone? Uh, or Christmas Story? Uh, uh, home, home What's alone. your favorite holiday movie? <laughs> home, home Alone or, um, God, what is the other one with Diane Lane and just her? Just that always like, Family oh, stuff. family oh, stuff. Oh, you're one of those people. Got it. That's my <laughs> sumac or zatar. Zatar. Um, zatar. Did I <laughs> super salad? Did you write that? <laughs> I did. Yeah, super salad. I feel like so many of my recipes are soups and salads. Salad. Hundred percent. Okay, oh, red or red or white. In general, or no white? wine, silly. Uh, um. God, it was red, but these days it's been white. Same. Mm-hmm. I've been drinking a lot of white. I don't know why. Okay, Ari, you want to ask our final, final question? Yes. So this is the question we actually do ask everyone who comes on the show, or at least we try to remember to. If you, Andy Bergani, were stuck on a desert island and you could only have one type of chip, what kind would it be? Oh, it's between two. That's the thing. I know it's... Uh, okay. You give us both. We'll be the tiebreaker. It would be like 
salt and pepper uh, like crinkle chip. Yes. <clears throat> or the like Maui Bay onion chip. Ooh, we haven't gotten that, that one yet. I think that one might be the winner just because no one's mentioned that on the show before. <gasps> Delicious. That kind of sweet onion, but it's Ooh, not sweet too sweet. Maui Ooh. onion. Mm. Mm. Yes. It's kind of tropical on the island too. You like catch some fish, make a ceviche, dip that chip in it. <laughs> yes. She's yes. got plans, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a gem. I'm, cl- I'm air clapping, but I don't want to disturb my microphone. <laughs> so hopefully in our part two, we are, our sound will be better. I hope you guys yes, didn't sir. notice as much. It's really hard with the zoom. Um, but what, a, what a joy I'm, I'm speechless. That was joy the perfect guest for the holidays. We couldn't have asked for anything more. That was, he yeah. was the gift. He was, yeah. he was my gift. Also, isn't it so nice to leave an interview and be like, Oh, I feel happier than when we started, you know, exactly. like you leave leaving, just feeling buoyant and wonderful. So thank you, Andy. You are so great. And we're so honored that we got to have you on our podcast. It's a very big deal yeah. for us. This is a real milestone. Before we sign off, I have one request of our listeners. If you guys hear this and want to d- DM us, I am embarking on a tiny little winter trip. I'm Airbnb being a place in the Adirondacks for, I will already be, be there once this comes out. And I need dinner ideas, things to cook, kind of holiday winterland adventure. I can cook whatever I want. And I don't know, what are you guys cooking for the holidays? Let me know. I want to, of course, I've got like my pasta maker already in the car, but you know, what, what do you guys want me to cook? I'll cook it and take some pictures. I just want a challenge. I can't even believe that my podcast co-host didn't even ask me for what I would perhaps recommend her to cook, but guys, it's fine. I'm really happy to see what your suggestions are and that's it. Oh, come on. You know that you are the number one and we're going to talk after we sign off for three hours about it. Yes, we are. Okay, bye, guys. Bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.